Hi, my name is Ian Khan, and you're listening to the Innovation Times Podcast. I am a technology author, speaker, and an advocate for everything good that technology brings. A part of my work is running the Innovation Times Podcast and bringing together people from various aspects of the industry and talk about how technology is affecting the way that they perform their jobs, their functions, and how they're leading their organizations to change that's propelled by technology. As part of my podcast, I interview people from all segments of the industry and different verticals as well. Welcome to Innovation Times. Hi, welcome to Innovation Times. This is Ian Khan, your host. Today I have a really cool guest with me. This is someone who helps hundreds and thousands of other people get together through the different associations and trade organizations they are part of and making sure that excellence is driven down through these organizations and associations. My guest today is the president and the CEO of ASAE, Mr. John Graham. John, welcome to the program. Oh, Ian, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So tell me, what brings you to Toronto? Um, well, we're here today to uh, talk up our annual meeting, which is coming up August 12th through the 15th here in Toronto at the Convention Center. We'll have about uh, 5,000 attendees uh, representing all facets of uh, association management and all types of associations uh, for our annual conference here. Now, the annual conference is, is one of your uh, larger events, uh, John, and this is something that every member looks forward to, I bet you, the entire year, because they get to meet other people, they get to bounce ideas off uh, other association members. So what is driving associations in 2017? What are some of the challenges that they really want addressed and they want to hear about um, from experts and, and from yourself? Uh, as to where the uh, association's world is going? Well, I think there's a couple of issues that uh, are impacting associations today. Uh, One of those is the uh, ever-evolving membership model. Uh, If you think about membership in a traditional association and flashback 40 or 50 years, uh, the model was based on the fact that people would pay the same amount of money, everyone would pay the same amount of money, but this, the, the model bet and gambled on the fact that only maybe 15, a maximum of 20% of the members would actually take advantage of all the benefits of the membership. And so it was priced accordingly. Um, what's happened flash, fast forward now is that technology has changed dramatically and in particular what has changed is mobile technology. And mobile technology is a significant game changer because mobile technology changes the interaction between the member and the association. So let me explain that a little bit. If you think about it, most associations are in the business of trying to create an experience uh, for their members. So when we have members come to Toronto, uh, we, along with the city, are going to try to create an experience for those. That doesn't go away. That's still in in play. But mobile uh, allows the individual to create the experience they want to create with the association. And so that's a 180 degree game changer. And so associations are trying to understand and figure out how to deal with that particular model. 
Uh, and what it really morphs into is not so much a traditional membership model, but rather a model of engagement, uh, an engagement model. Because, you know, one member might want to engage in a way that he or she buys a book once a year, and that's all they're willing to pay for, and that's all the engagement they want. Other members will attend four or five conferences, uh, buy four or five books subscribed to newsletters to do the whole nine yards, and they're going to pay at a very different level because that's the, way, the level at which they want to engage. And so this engagement model is dramatically changing the way that associations are really viewing how that relationship between them and their membership is evolving and changing. And of course you add an, into the complexity of demographics uh, when you have uh, now Gen Z just coming into the market, uh, into the workplace. Uh, of course you have millennials, you have the Gen Xers, and you have the boomers who are migrating out. So as the boomers are migrating out, the Gen Zs are migrating in. And of course Gen Zs are the first generation to grow up having never, having experienced nothing but technology. So uh, they only know digital. Uh, even millennials uh, were born at a time when, you know, they didn't have the digital capabilities, the technology capabilities that we have today or even five or ten years ago. So Gen Zs are very different yet. And so I don't think we know quite how they are different, uh, but uh, we know they are going to be different than the millennials. And so when you look at this mix, uh, it really makes, and the idea that people want to create their own experience with you, it really challenges the association world to put in place the tools and the enablers that allow that engagement to occur. I think that's such a fantastic point, uh, John, and uh, you know, you couldn't be more on target with the fact that the new generations uh, you know, are, are now out there. Uh, I was speaking with a few people yesterday, and, and all I could say is, we should be really, really proud of ourselves, the generations that are functioning in the workforce right now. We should be really proud of ourselves because we have seen the extremes from the manual telephones to the fax machines to the internet to the cloud to the internet of things. So we're kind of the generation that is transitioning, that is, that is having the maximum amount of transition in terms of automation, technology. And I think we sometimes undermine ourselves and our capabilities and we just get bogged down with the fact that there's too much technology out there, I don't know what to do with it. I think we should be proud of the fact that we are in the generation that we are. But having said that, you rightly mentioned the next generation is the Generation Z, the, the millennials, not even the millennials, Gen Zs. How can we really create and shape our businesses and shape our world? Because tomorrow Gen Zs will be serving Gen Zs. We won't be there anymore. How can we set in motion uh, something that'll be easy to carry on for these Gen Zs. How can we, uh, in other words, let me, let me uh, say that, how can we transcend the challenges of technology that we're trying to grasp, but then also reach the point where Gen Zs are, they have what they want? There's a huge gap. Tell us more about it. Well, I think, I think technology is both uh, a challenge, uh, but it's also an enabler. Uh, and so, when we tend to look at it, we tend to look at it through the lens of not so much the challenge, but the opportunity to enable an engagement model. And I think that that's the, the critical point that I'd like to make here with you, and that is, uh, yes, it has its challenges, but it also enables 
uh, an individual to engage in the way they want to engage at the time they want to engage on the device and on which they want to engage. And so I think when we look at it from that standpoint, it then requires organizations to have information uh, that is available. Because one thing we do know is that whether you're a boomer or a Gen Z, uh, you're hungry for the information that's out there. And in today's world, information is coming not only from the association, again, flashback 40 or 50 years ago, well, all the association had all the information. Uh, and you had to buy a membership and it was protected and you know you couldn't get access to it unless the association released it. Well now information is everywhere. Uh, you can there's information created by not only by the association but information is being created by members themselves uh, who are doing things exactly like you're doing, blogging, uh, posting, uh, communicating on social media. That's all creating content. Uh, so you have associations creating content, you have members creating content, you have third parties who are not members creating content, and uh, then you have companies and public areas that are creating content that we haven't even thought about before. So all this content is coming at people, and what associations need to do is to, and their value proposition in this, because it's no longer I need to belong to buy and get access to, you can always get access to, but the value proposition change is, changes considerably. It changes in, in, in light of the fact that information is everywhere, but the trick is how do you aggregate that information and provide that information to the individual so that if I'm an individual member of an organization, I know that I can find the information if I work at it long enough, maybe a day or two, but if the association can give it to me in 15 minutes because of the way in which I ask the questions of what I want, and you have a smart taxonomy and a smart content management system, then that's a real value proposition to that particular member. And so the trick for most associations, and that gets to the challenge part, the opportunity is to aggregate information. The challenge is to aggregate information and have the systems in place that allows the associations to do that. Now, uh, with, with all this happening, you know, the model for learning is changing dramatically as well. We're going from uh, you know, university physical education uh, to going more to online education, and now those experiences are really being shaped uh, by artificial intelligence, virtual reality platforms. Uh, and th the point I'm trying to make is mobility and mobile is a huge player today in us consuming that information. And you mentioned the business model already. You, you mentioned the model is changing for associations. And there's a shift from the one-off, you know, one per year, once a year kind of a membership to that consumption model where you're consuming information uh, or what have you in increments of how you need it. So tomorrow maybe uh, the model changes from, hey, I just need to know five chapters of this book as an example and I'm just going to pay for those five chapters and not for the whole book or the entire course. How is how are you looking at, or how do you envision the learning aspect and the teaching aspect within associations to propagate down to the members through these associations, mm -hmm. like from a very uh, you know high level? How do you see that transitioning over the next few years? Well, I, I think uh, I'll flash back uh, 20 years ago, and uh, at that time, uh, online learning uh, was really a, an evolving industry, and everybody thought face-to-face -face would go away that people wouldn't want to come together, they're going to do all their learning in a, in a, you know, an online mobile, even prior to mobile, just an online environment. Uh, 
And that has proven not to be true. People still need to get together physically. So learning is occurring in different ways than it used to, that's for sure. So you need to have the ability for somebody to learn on a, a very quick module online that they can tap into. Uh, uh, or, or even a course that's online that they want to take at the time they want to take it because of the convenience factor uh, and because they can. On the other hand, uh, people still want to get together to have those conversations because it's not so much what happens in the classroom that matters, it's what's happened in the hallway. <coughs> it's what happens in exhibit halls, uh, trade show floors. It's what happens when people come together and interact and have that human connection that remains critical and important. Uh, for people. And I don't see that ever changing. So what I see are multiple education platforms rather than the more singular education platform where a course is put on and somebody goes to attend that course. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Uh, there's, there, there are many, you know, many changes taking place today and yes, technology is such a great enabler, but you're so right <coughs> that that model of engagement from human to human, that human interaction, I personally don't believe that will ever go away. And you will, as long as we are human, uh, we will always need that connection to make sense of things and, and to cooperate and exactly uh, right. do, do what we need to do. Now, uh, leadership is such an interesting, uh, interesting area, and uh, you're in a position where you uh, where you meet with other leaders, you exchange ideas with other leaders, and I know you have a few different initiatives as well. At uh, ASA, you have a you have a different portal and a different uh, side of the business that that promotes um, advocacy, that promotes uh, working with the government, formulating policy, and kind of being the voice of the industry. Tell us more about that side of uh, the business. Well, uh, ASA has really four core competencies. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, one of the two or three main ones, which are uh, community and the ability to network and, and have people come together both virtually as well as physically. Um, we've talked about education uh, and learning and we've talked about the content and the aggregation of content uh, and then the distribution of content. So there are three of our four core competencies. The fourth one you referred to is what we call advocacy. And advocacy for us has two basic faces. Uh, one face is the face of advocating on behalf of associations uh, and the value of associations. So let me expand on that a little bit. If you think about it, uh, everything an individual touches every day has been impacted by an association. From the cars we drive, to the roads we drive on, to the bridges we cross, to the clothes we wear, to the food we eat, to the medical procedures we have, all of those things have been touched by an association. And so that's one aspect of what we do. We promote, in the broadest context, the value of associations to society, both in, not only in the U.S., but in the world. The second face of advocacy for us is really about the, tradition, the more traditional advocacy that you would expect, which is uh, the one thing that, as you might appreciate, we have members on all sides of an issue. Uh, we have hospitals on one side of an issue, you have doctors on another side, you have nurses on another side, uh, you know, that's just healthcare. So whatever issue you want to talk about, uh, there's going to be one group in ASAE who's on this side of the issue and another group is on the other side. We stay out of that stuff. Uh, that's a no-win position for us. But there are some things that are unique to associations and tax-exempt organizations more broadly 
that we are focused on. One of those is the First Amendment right to petition the federal government, or as it's known in the vernacular, lobbying. Uh, you know, regardless of what issue you stand for, uh, we are front and center in protecting your right to petition the government on that issue, whatever it happens to be. That's your choice. Our, our position is to say we want to protect your right uh, to lobby. Second key area for us is in tax policy, uh, particularly in the U.S., and I think to some degree in Canada as well, but particularly in the U.S. Uh, tax organizations, uh, nonprofit organizations which, under which associations fall, uh, are regulated by the uh, IRS, Internal Revenue Service. And of course the IRS is regulated through the Senate Finance Committee and House Ways and Means around tax policy. So tax policy in terms of what gets taxed, how associations are regulated, uh, what types of forms they're filing in, to, to in the regulatory process is an important aspect that they all care about, again, regardless of what position they're taking up. And then the third area is the one that we started with when we talk about ASAE coming to Toronto, and that's around meetings. And what we want to do is make sure that the ability to conduct meetings is not impacted negatively, either by policy uh, or by perception. And I think the travel ban is a, or the proposed travel ban from the Trump administration, and it's not a political commentary, but it, it's a real damper and, a, and it makes us, makes the United States appear to be, even though the travel ban is not in place, it appears that the United States is very, not, is, is more unwelcoming than it was previously. And uh, we're not as welcoming as some people are afraid that if they get here, they won't get in the country. And if they get in the country, they won't get back out again if they want to leave. So there's some of that that goes on. And there's some people who are just protesting the fact that they think the United States, uh, this travel ban is, is discriminatory and uh, is directed at a certain population. Uh, and that uh, they're not going to come to the United States just because the United States is taking that position. So they are the three areas that we focus on, the right to lobby, tax policy, and the ability to conduct and hold meetings. So. On, on, on leadership, what is the best leadership advice that you have received in your career? Um, it's actually very short. Uh, management uh, is about doing things right. Leadership is about doing the right thing. And uh, when, when you're in a leadership position, and most of us are in a leadership position in one way or another, uh, it's really about uh, setting the. It's really about setting the example, of uh, setting the context, of setting the objective and the vision, uh, and I think what's different about leadership today than it was 20 or 30 years ago, is that uh, we're no longer in a command and control. Just because I say it, then people need to do it. Uh, you know, the workforce today is much more questioning. Uh, much more seeking and authenticity from their leaders. Uh, they want to know if the leadership of the organization or the company uh, that they're working for, or the association they're working for, shares their values, is contributing back uh, to social responsibility initiatives, uh, and is trying to make a difference in the world. Uh, and I think that has changed leadership from being one of command and control to very much consensus, uh, very much teams, uh, very much providing leadership through a different set of lenses. And so leadership to me has changed a lot uh, in my time, uh, but it is still about uh, 
you know, setting the vision and uh, rather than commanding people to follow that vision, talking to people about why that vision is important and why that vision is going to make a difference for people. That's really great advice, John. That's, uh, that really resonates. I think um, you couldn't have said it uh, in a better way. So I, I know we're running out of time, and I really appreciate the opportunity you've given us and our, and our listeners. Uh, just very quickly, what do you see uh, as the biggest opportunity for associations and leadership uh, in moving forward? And then I have my last question for you. Uh, the biggest opportunity is I think we're the best kept secret. Uh, is to more broadly tell our story. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you look at associations in their broadest context, they touch everything we do every day, but nobody thinks of it that way. And the value of associations to society, uh, the contribution that associations makes to quality of life issues uh, is huge and significant. And I think the biggest challenge we have is uh, you know, con not convincing people, but communicating people that value proposition. On value proposition, that was actually my, my last question, John. What can you tell the average individual, the person who's part of an association or wants to be part of an association, uh, you know, can benefit from associations or is not a part of associations? What can the individual contributor, uh, the leader of teams, the project manager, uh, the accountant, the, uh, the, the engineer. There's so many different professions and people out there that you, whose lives you touch. Mm -hmm. What can they do to create value in their lives, starting right now, keeping in context, uh, you know, engagement, keeping in context technology, learning, uh, you know, the, the community? What can we do to create value where we are with what we have? Well, uh, most people don't recognize this, but associations are the leading providers of adult education in the, in the United States, and I'm sure that's true in Canada as well. And what they can do is pursue a career and a life of lifetime learning. Uh, and associations provide that opportunity to them. They can consume a little bit or they can consume a lot. That's up to them. Uh, they can consume the soft skills uh, or they can consume the hard skills, meaning the, the content around the profession or the industry, uh, or the, as I mentioned earlier, the soft skills. They all add to the value uh, of a life well led. And so associations are the main vehicle for providing that value proposition at the end of the day. John, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Where can our listeners go and check out your association website and, and see if they can uh, learn more? Uh, ASAE Center, one word, ASAE Center, and because we're in Canada, it's ER, not RE, dot <laughs> org. Thank you, John, and uh, we'll see you at the convention in Toronto. We'll look forward Thank to it, so Ian. Much. Thank you. Take care.